Is there anything we should talk about before we get started? No, I'm ready to talk about Terminator 2, man. I wanna, I'm interested to hear how you felt about this movie. I wish there was the, the optional E in Judgment Day. Because uh, every time I've gone to type Judgment today, I, I try to put the extra E, and uh, that is oh, not how they spell you it in the movie title. try to spell Judge and then put Ment on it, and that doesn't yeah. work. <laughs> well, I mean, it is. The, both are accepted spellings of the word Judgment, but that is not the one that they use for the movie. Interesting. Yeah, I guess that's true. I never. I, it's funny. Yeah. I am very much a visual speller, and so unless I see it, I can't. But I'm looking at Judgment now. And I'm like, oh, actually, I must spell it with an E because it doesn't look quite right. Right. Every time I went to type it today, I added the extra E. And then checking against the movie, that is not how they went. So Interesting. Okay. (laughs) I didn't, I hadn't noticed that. Well, you're welcome for giving me something to notice. (laughs) Cannot unsee. (laughs) Okay. Well, we can go ahead and officially start, I suppose. I'll hit the button and we'll get this thing going. All right. everybody and welcome to another episode of cinescope the first episode of cinescope in the new year at least recorded in the new year this is episode 101 and i am joined by my good friend tj draper to talk about terminator 2 judgment day tj how's it going good how are you chad i am doing well it is nice to be sitting back behind the microphone again um yes. i've been a little bit slow to edit the last couple of episodes and so i uh i've noticed i subscribed to the podcast <laughs> yes uh, well i'm glad <laughs> <laughs> and i'm sorry for the the delay everybody it's just like you want to do things in life and you want to do all the things and you don't make time for some things and you make time for other things and so this hasn't been as much of a priority as i wish it had been but uh we're in a new year and it's time to change that Chad, do boy, do I know about wanting to do all the things and being able to do like a handful of them. And you've got all these things you're trying to, I, I, you got to pick and choose. It's, it's, it's tough. It is tough. Uh, like all the movies to watch, all the TV shows to watch, the video games to play, but we're here, we're in front of the microphones and we're going to talk about the movie. How have your endeavors been going recently? Because since the last time we talked about the first Terminator movie, you have actually launched your own podcast. It's not the podcast that you and I talked about when we on that episode. Um, I don't remember what what made it into the episode or not. Um, but um, I talked about launching a film score podcast. I would still kind of like to do that, but now I don't know when I'd find time because I wound up launching a technology podcast. Uh, well, more of kind of a like a lifestyle, which winds up being a technology and Apple focused <laughs> podcast. The podcast is called Hi Fi. You can find it at nightowl.fm/slash Hi Fi. And yeah, me and my my good friend, known him for years and years now. Uh, Joe Darnell. I was a uh, groomsman in his wedding. That's how good of friends we are. I launched it with him. It is a podcast we kind of always wanted to do, but the the, the, the technology space is kind of full. But finally, I mean, it's not like we were making, you know, good ground in other areas of podcasting. And so it's like, you know what, if we're going to fail at podcasting, let's fail at doing the one that we, we like to do. <laughs> so uh, yeah, we're over there at nightowl.fm. Yes. And now I know even more about your opinions on Apple and computer monitors and and headphones and all that kind of stuff (laughs) drivel utter drivel nobody cares about all that stuff who cares really except for me and and joe well i've known you and joe for a long time now as well i've been listening to you since what 2012 i suppose when you started movie bite and uh, talking with you since 2013 and so it's just like listening to friends talk for sure yeah um i thought i could tell you in a minute maybe more than a minute 
Basically, I just need to go to the page uh, the, uh, that has the oldest episode of the Movie Byte podcast on moviebyte.com. I and think then I can it tell was you. 2012-ish. Because you were very early on. I remember interacting with you in the chat room. Here we go. Um, July 20th, 2012 was when the first episode of the Movie Byte podcast aired. And I just nice. did something I hate, which is I said 2012. And I, sh- I, mean, I, liked, I prefer to say 2012. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> it, it's uh, the the colloquialism in the it is it, in it the seeps into your head pop culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I think I've told this story before, but the way that I found you guys was Joe randomly posted a uh, soundtrack review that I'd written back in 2012. <laughs> there I went, um, <laughs> and so I was like, oh, who is this? Who's linking to my website? And it was Joe on MovieByte.com, and so that's how I found the podcast oh. and. I don't think I knew this. So he linked to you from a yeah. post from one yeah, of the blo- you can probably still the find it if the the articles are still live. It was uh, oh, a soundtrack yeah. review of The Born Legacy by uh who wrote that score? James Newton Howard? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I hate the film. I love James Newton Howard. Yeah, me too. <laughs> on, <laughs> on both, both counts. On both counts. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Although to be fair, I don't remember much of The Born legacy and that that probably says enough i remember that it's forgettable and that it's also kind of bad like the the yeah. pacing of that film we're off on a tangent now but but the pacing <laughs> of that film is just nuts and you get to the end of the movie and you felt like you've been sitting there for hours but it also felt like nothing happened right exactly yeah i mean i, I remembered liking jeremy renner and that was like as much sure i mean into I, it that I, I like I, him I, as an actor the bad yeah. script isn't his fault right Okay, well, we are here to talk about Terminator 2, and so let's go ahead and get into that. And how fitting that this is episode 101, and Arnold returns this time, not as the, the bad guy Terminator, but the model 101. Oh, 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 spoilers, man. Did you, did you sound the spoiler warning? <laughs> I didn't, but uh, <laughs> goodness. hopefully this 1991 film... Hey, this film is 30 years old this year, so hopefully people have seen a 30-year-old film by now, but you hadn't. I hadn't, but also <laughs> I am not yet 30, so I don't know if that's entirely <sighs> Babies. <laughs> to blame. All of you people are babies. <laughs> so this released on July 3rd of 1991. It was directed by James Cameron, who did direct the first one as well. He directed Aliens, The Abyss, True Lies, Ghosts of the Abyss, Aliens of the Deep, and Avatar, and he's got three sequels supposedly eventually coming to that film it's never gonna happen Chad. it's never <laughs> you, gonna happen. you say that but i think they're closer and closer and closer and disney <sighs> no. just opened a special world like two years ago <laughs> i didn't see avatar and it doesn't look like a film i'd be that interested in but but like i've followed the you know especially i used to be a movie critic and amateur and and, and uh like i followed it and like he just keeps talking about it year after year after year what are is this like the 20th year now since he's been saying that or something <laughs> <laughs> it, it has been 12 since it 12 last, years since it wow. first came out yeah. yeah it's not i don't think it's gonna happen at this point <laughs> we'll see we'll see especially with this <laughs> pandemic and all that nonsense but uh yeah i would say it is at least worth watching it's it's not anything groundbreaking story-wise but technology-wise it's pretty look at so yeah i mean that's part of my problem with it too yeah anyways <laughs> <laughs> this movie was written by cameron and by william wisher the music is by returning composer Brad Fidel, who also wrote the scores for Fright Night, The Big Easy, True Lies, and Johnny Mnemonic. And this movie stars returning cast Arnold Schwarzenegger and Linda Hamilton, as well as newcomers Robert Patrick, Joe Morton, Earl Bain, and Edward Furlong. And I say newcomers, not all of those are newcomers. No, I guess all of those guys are newcomers. Yeah, for, to this franchise, yeah. they're, they're yeah. newcomers. The, the only really returning cast is Schwarzenegger and Hamilton. 
Right. Well, also, who plays Silverman? Earl Bain. He was in the first film. He was. I don't remember that. Uh, It said he was the only person to appear in the first three Terminator movies, along with Hmm. Schwarzenegger. Must have been a small part, or else my memory is really just catching up with my age. (laughs) Yeah, I I didn't remember him specifically. I'm just going by what the internet tells me. (laughs) He must have been one of the guys uh, that, you know, was evaluating Sarah in the first film. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So what was your first experience with this movie specifically? Well, as I mentioned when we talked about the term, the Terminator, I watched this, uh, I don't know, 13 or 14 years ago as an adult, um, hadn't been married for very long. It was, part, it was part of my journey of getting into more adult films because I was raised in a pretty conservative and Christian household. Not that there's anything wrong with these films, just that you don't let, you know, kids watch R-rated films. That was just something we didn't do in my household. So I'm watching this as an adult for the first time. And I had just seen the first Terminator film, and I thought it was okay. Like, I, and I'm, it's certainly a film I go back to once in a while. But it, it, it took me a couple weeks to get to this film because I wasn't completely blown away with the Terminator. Like I said, it's fine, and I enjoy it, but it wasn't like, ooh, ooh, I gotta watch the next one. So when I watched this one, I was completely blown away by just how much better this film was. Like, in every conceivable way, it it hits all the right buttons for me. It introduces an entirely new way of thinking about Terminators and how they work with the T-1000. And I was really delighted with the twist because I remember watching this for the first time and, and I didn't know that um, the Governator was going to be the good guy this time. Like, you just didn't know. And so you're watching this and you're trying to figure out what's going on and so that was really great and it just kept me on the edge of my seat the whole time yeah and that was kind of my first uh, experience with the film and really just trying to figure out for the first you know what maybe quarter maybe a little more than a quarter of the film you kind of not sure like is he is is the terminator um the t-800 is he going to be the bad guy or is there something else going on so are you telling me tj that we only talked about the first movie so that we could talk about the second movie eventually no, I said I enjoy. <laughs> I, I enjoy the Terminator. I kid. I kid. And I, I really enjoyed the first Terminator, too. Like, I mean, obviously, from our discussion, I, I, I talked about how I was so impressed with James Cameron's vision for that movie, because my yes. experience with James Cameron up to that point in my life, seeing the Terminator was Titanic, which I enjoy. I really liked the Titanic. I was sort of a Titanic nut growing up. And mm. even then, I didn't see that movie until college but that's beside the point i really liked titanic i liked avatar for what it was but those films more showed me him as like his his technology prowess the the yeah. things he was able to capture the things he was able to set to film but the terminator was an original idea it was something that he wrote himself and it wasn't just like crappy dialogue all over the page no. like both avatar and titanic sometimes get uh, <laughs> criticized for and so i i was super impressed with the, the first terminator film which made me really excited to watch this one because i i know that this is the one that is more beloved by fans of the films and yeah. I, I was equally, if not more, blown away this time than I was that first time. Well, I, I and I think that the the Terminator, the first Terminator, really put James Cameron on the map. I know he did two other films uh, before this. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, I'm just looking at the writing credits. I don't remember. I don't know if he directed any. Yeah, he did. So he directed both of those before that too. So the Terminator, though, is the one that everybody knows. You've never heard of the other two that came before it. Um, and the Terminator really put James Cameron on the map. And I would say that from Terminator to Terminator Two is kind of the the golden era of James Cameron 
then after that his films start becoming more garbagey as you've noted with the dialogue and things like that <laughs> <laughs> that's my opinion i you know if my opinion and, and 50 cents wouldn't even buy a cup of coffee but anyway i really definitely have more appreciation kind of in that vein for the terminator after having seen terminator 2 and i think what you see in terminator 2 is definitely more of the vision that james cameron had for what that world could be but but the technology had advanced in those seven years and it was such low budget the terminator the original terminator that you see the seams and i you don't see the seams nearly as much in terminator 2 like i know from our our you know really high tech high you know cgi world of of 2021 that the the morphing techniques and stuff can look a little dated but but at the time boy people were just blown away by by uh the t1000 and the special effects I will say that those are the first things I noted when writing my notes while watching were like, even in the first scene, when we're still getting voiceover from Sarah Connor, the budget is more noticeable. The improvement in technology is more noticeable because we, that, that stop motion, uh, not completely stop motion, but the, the exoskeleton that we saw at the end of the first movie that was kind of jittery at times. Oh yeah. I mean, it, it was rough. It it worked for the film, but it it was rough and it was clearly dated technology. And this time, I mean, it was already a complete 180 from what we saw at the end of the first Terminator film that seven years made a huge difference both in that technology and in the obvious budget improvement that they had for this one. Yeah. The budget for the Terminator in 1984 was 6.4 million. The budget for Terminator two was 102 million and no amount of inflation. (laughs) adjustment in seven years can adjust for that right exactly i mean it's impressive and speaking as to the 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 t-1000 effects by themselves i noted that they kind they do look dated i don't know how you watch it i watched it in 4k and i don't know if it would look different in a lower resolution but i thought they didn't necessarily look all that dated to me i thought that the 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 way it was animated the way that they Just the way that they made that happen, I thought it worked incredibly well and didn't make me feel like, oh, well, this is an old movie. I I thought it looked pretty great. Yeah, I have to confess, I watched it on my iPad because I meant to watch it on my TV, but I forgot to watch it when I was supposed to. And so I'm scrambling last night to watch it before our podcast today. (laughs) And so um, I had to uh, do some other things while I was watching it. And my iPad is the best solution for that. But I thought it looked pretty good on the iPad. I, I did think that, again, that the effects are definitely not what you would see today. You would definitely see a better CGI experience today. But they served the story and it was fine and it was top notch for the time. And I even I would even say that that sometimes the technology of today enables too much. Like it, it's it's just over the top. And mm-hmm. and this certainly wasn't. You know, you you could definitely see the economy of the storytelling based on the the budget and the special effects. Like I think that was actually uh, in in most ways a benefit. It's almost like the the advancement in technology in those seven years since the first film allowed Cameron to just further explore what he had already tried to establish the first time, which sounds like an obvious duh statement, but it it allowed him a lot more leeway with creating the fantastical world that he had sort of created with these Terminators and allowing them to develop. Because, I mean, the T-1000 is definitely a huge development for the Terminator compared to what we saw in the first one. Yeah, well, and and they they definitely, um, they don't 
spoon feed it to you right away either because you see the T1000, you don't even know what it, that it is a T1000, but you see somebody come back after our, our known Terminator comes back and then we mm-hmm. see this other guy come back and we see him sort of take down a, a cop and then the next thing we see is that he's dressed in cop clothes and so we assume that he just took the cop's clothes. Mm-hmm. So they sort of slowly reveal these things and kind of roll it out over time and I'm trying to remember, when is the first time we see him morph? I'm trying to think that as well. It probably wouldn't be until the scene where... Was it the stabbing, the first stabbing? Was it when, when we saw the blade? Yeah, the blade when he kills the, the foster father? Yeah, the foster parent. Yeah, yeah, I think that may be the first time. And I forgive me, I'm too familiar with it. I don't remember for sure, because I just know it now. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I would have thought that scene or the scene where he first starts chasing John, like, actually in person, it, either mm. way. But yeah, I think you might be right. I think that might be the first time. I think it is, because they make a big deal out of that reveal. So I think that must be the first time. Right. We see him make like a motion as the the foster mother, and then the camera yes. pans. And there's this fantastic lingering shot after the, the foster father falls to the ground, where he had dropped the milk carton, and instead yes. of there being spilt milk, it's spilt blood. It's, it's a fantastic shot. It's very sort of tongue-in-cheek with yeah. the, the old phrase. And it's very Cameron-y, very yeah. much so. Yeah. yeah. So, alluding to the story and the fact that we are, I mean, we already dropped this, Arnold is the good guy this time. Yes. And I don't know if I knew that or not. Oh, I would hope you didn't for your first well, viewing. I, I didn't know that. I had an inkling, though. Um, mm. And I, I was writing notes because, obviously, in the, the voiceover that Sarah Connors gives us at the beginning, she's talking about how they sent back two Terminators. The first one was to 1984, and obviously that one failed. They sent back another one, but the Resistance was able to send back somebody as well. She doesn't say who or what it is. It's just they send back somebody. And so, at the beginning of the film, we see Arnold come back, and I mean, obviously, we're we're sort of designed to think oh he's back it's right the the same thing it's the same situation mm-hmm. but then mm-hmm. the other one comes and there isn't a clear indicator right away who's good who's bad that's right if they're both good if they're both there we don't know and so i i knew exactly what they were trying to set up and by giving us both of those characters spawning so closely to each other time-wise in the film it does plant that seed of doubt like who is the bad guy and so i don't know if i was sort of predisposed to think maybe they are switching things up or if it was just like me knowing it from something else and just kind of keeping it in the back of my head this era of arnold schwarzenegger so of course he started out in things like terminator where he was much more of the you know a kind of a badass rough and tumble and you know he's gonna he's gonna take on somebody and by mm-hmm. the time you get into the 90s he's trying to reform his image a little bit to be a little bit more of a teddy bear and so you've got things like kindergarten cop and jingle all the way <laughs> yes so there was stuff that made him look so so i think one of the things that he wanted coming into this film is he said i kind of i kind of want to be the good guy <laughs> you know and so that's kind of what cameron is like oh i think that's where cameron got this idea of oh well we can really kind of deceive people and make them wonder like who who is this guy and, what, and what's going on here with this term, version of the terminator so it really made for a great story the the reforming of of his image into a more of a teddy bear kind of a guy which i thought was really well done and it also led to to, I don't think that Arnold actually kills anybody in this film. Even before John Connor says, no, you can't kill anybody. Um, he maims a few people, for sure, <laughs> because this is the Terminator. And it, it actually led to some really great moments, you know, where he's, you know, he's like, trust me, you know, and he goes right. out there, he's like, he's, you know, the, the cop cars are going up in flames and stuff. It's, it's really, it's really great. 
It is. I, I love the the twist with his character and how he he becomes not more human like necessarily, but more human aware and he he is learning the value in humans as sarah says in the the ending mm. voiceover mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, I do want to say this though getting back to the voiceover i i actually I, I remember thinking this before and it's been a few years since i've seen this film i actually the one thing that i kind of don't like about this film is that voiceover i feel like the film would be better if sarah wasn't doing any voiceover at any point in the film i would agree with you specifically in the points not at the beginning at the or at the end. There's a couple like sprinkled throughout the film. Yes. I think the beginning one is fine. I think the ending one is fine. Yeah, maybe. And maybe if they he just stuck to that, it would be a better film. Yeah. I mean, it didn't take a lot away from me, but it, it was definitely sort of like the scene where she was talking about how he was the perfect father figure. And I mean, I think you kind of get that from the film itself. She didn't oh, yeah. need to spell that, that was, out for us. That was a little bit too much handholding. Uh, a little yeah. bit, I felt a little bit disrespected as a viewer. I'm like, I can already see that. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so yeah, I think that I would love to see uh, a cut of this film that didn't have that voiceover in the, particularly between the beginning and end of the film, as you say, I bet it exists. I, I, I could take or leave the, the opening and the closing voiceovers. Well, that, that, opening voiceover does a better i remember for the first film there's just like block of text i think right wasn't there they're just like text you had to read at the beginning yeah, of the movie i think that's right i think that's right so i i like that better and how it does set up the fact that oh there's going to be two somethings this time and it does of course sort of plant that seed of doubt like is arnold the good guy the bad guy this time you don't know in that instance i, I really did like the voiceover rather than having to sort of decipher on-screen text because i think it wasn't even like super straightforward what this text was trying to tell us at the beginning of the first terminator film yeah i i I can definitely live with the beginning and ending voiceover and you do kind of need something to tell you i guess that i I don't know i see i'm going back and forth now i'm waffling on whether you need somebody to tell you to go back in time don't you kind of get it i don't know kind of yeah yeah I don't know. It's mostly, I think you're right. I think it was mostly when I felt disrespected is when, when she's telling us exactly what we're seeing. And I'm like, right. I, I don't need that. <laughs> anyway, that's really the only ding that I have on this, this film. I liked a couple of things that we saw in the beginning. I mean, before we get into character discussion, um, just a couple like general things about the movie. At the beginning of the film, we get that contrast of the kids playing on the playground, immediately followed by the images of the absolutely destroyed playground. Yes, that's so great. And then there's the Terminator that's stepping down on the skull. And then after the voiceover, we see the burning of the playground in progress. And then, of course, later in the film, when Sarah has her dream, we see sort of the initial incineration of the city happening on Judgment Day and stuff like that. Yes. I think the opening of this film is very well done. It is. And and by the way, in that dream sequence, the way that we have two Sarah Connors on screen is that it's... I think this is public knowledge at this point, but it's Linda Hamilton's twin. Oh, I didn't know she had a twin. Yeah, she had a twin. I think this this was like major news that dropped when Dark Fate was happening or something. Uh, she has a twin sister, and in that dream sequence when she's clearly behind the fence and she's also on the playground, that's not like special camera effects. That's She has a twin sister. Yeah, I'd assume they were doing green screen stuff. Nope. Fascinating. I, and so it was unknown until Dark Fate that she had a twin? I certainly didn't know. I, I guess so. I, I know that's when I first heard that she had a twin sister. Huh. So. Wow, interesting. Yeah. Pretty cool. <laughs> and clearly an identical twin. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. Okay, then. Another thing I liked about just, like, general things happening in this movie, 
There's the police scene at the end of the movie. And after seeing what happened in the first film, I mean, we know it's probably going to be different this time, hopefully, but we see all the police amassing at the Cyberdyne building and we're like, oh no, things are going to happen again. Lots of cops are going to die again. And even if it's not at the hands of the T-800, it might be at the hands of the T-1000. But the way that Arnold just sort of cripples them and yeah. make, make sure that they, you guys stay out of the way. You guys don't follow us. Leave us alone. <laughs> they <Dead> live. <laughs> right. Oh my. It's yeah. pretty great. It, it's completely opposite from just the utter teardown that we see in the first movie. Yes. No. In the first film, it's definitely more over the top than this, which, which, you know, I would say that this film has better technically executed scenes, but the first film has a more of a gritty, like, you that those and you know those people are just getting like their heads chopped off and killed and like it, it's just much much harder to watch i think the first film than this one right in those in those terms at least i also have a, a few things to say about the story here as well i think as i as i kind of alluded to when we talked about this before when the, the first film i i like sci-fi and fantasy of all kinds but i think there's often really something appealing about a well-done dark sci-fi fantasy story which both terminator and terminator 2 are dark sci-fi fantasies. And I think that's because we as humans know what humanity is capable of and and what we, as I'll talk about in a minute, there's this deep-seated fear of what we're doing uh, with good intentions, as we see with um, uh, Joe Morton's character, the, the, the Cyberdyne guy. Um, mm-hmm. What we see with him doing, uh, he has good intentions, but it causes this apocalypse. So we have this deep-seated fear of that. But And we also just know that humanity is capable of doing things that are not for our good. <laughs> and as a Christian, I have a theology to explain that. But anyway... So it feel it feels like this is a story that we feel in our bones could happen. And there so there's something about that that draws us in. Even though I do like a good light sci-fi fantasy like a Star Trek the Next Generation, I also enjoy this kind of sci-fi fantasy as well. So the first film was mainly a bootstrap paradox, you know, where the machine sent the Terminator back in time to make sure John Connor was never born, which caused John Connor to be born. Um, right. This this film is also a bootstrap that has a little bit of a bootstrap paradoxing uh, going on. Is, is, is that a verb? Paradoxing? Um, <laughs> um, and so the machines uh, send an even better Terminator back to kill John Connor. So they, they failed the first time. They're going to send it to a different point in time and actually kill John Connor. And before he becomes this, you know, great leader of the resistance, and instead, they ensure that he will spend his life becoming this great leader of the resistance. Whether there's even going to be a Judgment Day now is up for anybody's guess, at least as of the end of this film. But if there was going to be, they ensured that he was still continuing to be this great leader and res- of the resistance. Right. That's absolutely true. Yeah, so so the bootstrap paradox theme is still here. Uh, and then, as I already alluded to, um, boy, it's just, especially, I think, in this era, and, and we still get these types of films, I feel like they aren't as prevalent as they were through the 80s and 90s, but but just this fear of of technology, that the technology that we're creating is going to destroy us. The computerization and all this, it's going to take over the world. And that is very much present in this film. And my final observation about the story is that this film also asks the Hitler question in a different way. It's not quite the same, but it's a similar concept, right? If you could, you know, you know the question, right? If you could Mm -hmm. go back in time and kill Hitler before he was known as Hitler, is that a moral right thing to do and would you do it? And, you know, Sarah Connor has that moment with um, 
uh, I wish I could remember Joe Morton's character's name because he's an important um, uh, Miles Miles Dyson, mm-hmm. and so she of course realizes at the last minute that she can't do it because somewhere I guess she is a good person after all, <laughs> but but yet you know. By not doing it, is she dooming the human race? And so then that's where you get John Connor, who's going to say, no, we need we, – what, what is the phrase that he mentions a little earlier in the film about fate? Um, no fate. N- no um, fate. Except for what we make our own, something that, like no that? No fate except for what we make. Yeah, something like that. So that's what John Connor is basically saying. No, Mom, there is a third way, and we're going to do it this way. That same thing is explored in Looper, you know, Ryan Johnson's yes. film. Yeah, yes. it's the exact same situation. Very much so. I need to watch yeah. that. It's been a couple of years. Yeah. It's pretty great. Uh, I love that movie. <laughs> I completely agree with all those things. I, I like the, well, we can talk to characters now, I suppose. Yes. Starting with Arnold, because, um, and I'm just going to refer to him as Arnold because there's yeah. two Terminators this time. Well, you can also call him T-800 or the 101, uh, Model 101. Yeah, I think he's also just referred to as the Terminator, he's and the, the other one is the T-1000. Right. That's right. Um, so but either he's way. Arnold. Yeah. He's, play- he's, he's Arnold. Arnold playing Arnold. <laughs> <laughs> this is what he um, does. <laughs> you know, I think he, um, I was I was reading, I, was, I think it was Roger Ebert I was reading earlier today, and um, of course he always has these, uh, he's a much better film critic than I would ever dream of being, but he basically, pretty sure it was Ebert, who said uh, that Arnold learned to take roles that were for him. You know, you basically have two kinds of actors, right? You have actors who pretend to be somebody else and then you have actors who pretend somebody else is them and arnold is the latter (laughs) because he's good at playing a certain type of character and he started taking these roles that it really works with his stoic and straight-faced line delivery with you know that austrian accent and it really just works and it works so well it absolutely does i think his entrance in this movie is probably even better than the first one. I, I love the bar scene. Yes. I love the badge of the bone needle drop. <laughs> yes, and the yes, taking yes. of the It's just like, of course. I mean, you, you sort of had to at this point. And it's even better knowing that he does end up not being a goofball, but he, he's definitely a lot more relaxed and a lot more sort of... I, it's hard to apply human characteristics to him because he is still the Terminator, but... Oh, well, that's part of the character. Is He's, he's so human... In way, but in certain ways, right? Like right. clearly, he's he's playing this sort of Spock-like character, this emotionless, you know, guy. Or maybe maybe Data from the Next Generation is a is a better likening, where he he has no emotions and he's trying to understand. In this film, he's trying to understand humans better mm-hmm. as as the movie goes on. And somehow, in doing that, he's the most lovable human character in the film. Yeah, I wrote that he's almost less scary than just impressive this time like in the first film he was legitimately terrifying and we get some of that from the t-1000 in this movie just seeing the lengths that they go to the the absolute relentless nature of them in acquiring and chasing after their targets but this time it's just as we see more and more that he's not going to be an actual terminator like taking people out this time we are able to just appreciate what he's able to do the way Arnold and and this is appreciation of Schwarzenegger himself as well. The way he just handles the shotgun without yes. any kind of buck or recoil. It's just like, it's it, like, it's nothing. 
I mean, I know it's probably a, a, a prop gun, but the way he handles it just looks so compelling. Like, yeah. it's like, I, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. I, I, I could <laughs> not do that. <laughs> <laughs> I believe he could do it with a real one, too, to be honest. I, like. <laughs> oh, for sure. No, I mean, he's totally got the moves. It's it's yeah. really great. And he's handling that gun on the motorcycle one-handed and and the whole, like, you know, the flipping around to, re, you know, to to put the shell in the chamber and all this. Like, it's so good. Mm-hmm. And the, the new development uh, that he has to follow the orders given to him by john I, yeah. I love that i love that that is so clever i love that reveal scene too where, yeah. he, where, where john finds out about it and like he's he's like oh this is so cool oh oh what what did you call me oh you know well, i yeah. got some news for you but then of course you know the, the terminator is gonna take it just a little too far he's like what? whoa stop. It's, it's so good right it, it gives us a little bits of comedy as he's taking the orders from a child. Uh, and it also gives him a little bit of a conscience. It, it teaches him to be more human. He even says, please, in a couple of moments, like, uh, hand me this, please, while I'm trying to fix this engine. Like He's, he's learning. He, he's learning from a kid, too. And learning from a kid gives him a little bit of an air of innocence because John isn't the hardened war, not a war veteran exactly, but his mom has been through some stuff. And has suffered yeah. real loss. And John hasn't reached that point at the beginning of this film. He, he, in fact, at the beginning of this movie, thinks that everything that his mom has said is nonsense. That it was a lie, or not an even right. a lie, that she was just insane. And so he doesn't have the context. He doesn't have the experience to say that he should be a certain way. He's still a kid, and he still has this sort of optimism of the world. And so that's why he stops the Terminator, whose literal purpose is to kill from killing and he stops his mother or has the intention to stop his mother from killing the guy who is going to result in the death of 3 billion people because of his actions, because killing is wrong, no matter what the, the outcome would be. And so I love that the Terminator has some of that innocence instilled into him from this child. Yeah. And of course, you know, there's, there's several things that are being set up for the one-liners. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> yeah. you know, hasta la vista, baby. You know, <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah. It's just amazing that Cameron is able to get us to care about the Terminator in the same way that John does. There is that voiceover. Yes, it's a voiceover. We don't care for it, but he is the perfect sort of father figure for John. He, he's going to pursue his target to every end of the earth and in this instance it's not seeking out to destroy a target it's seeking to protect one and giving everything he has up to his ultimate sacrifice to protect john yes do we have to talk about it (laughs) It, it's (laughs) really sad and there there was a moment in this movie where i did shed well there were twice i guess where i shed tears while watching okay and we can talk about them well the first the, the second one is when he is saying goodbye at the end of the movie and he says, I now understand why you cry. And yes, it, it's beautifully set up from earlier in the film when he asks John, why do you cry? And yeah. John's response here, I have it written down. He says, when there's nothing wrong with you, but you hurt anyways. And I think that's yes. a really profound statement from a child too. <laughs> yes, and it is. at the end when he says, I understand now why you cry. And then he laments that he's not able to reciprocate too. He says, but I cannot do that. And he, he still wipes away John's tear before he says goodbye and descends to his death. And it's a really powerful moment. I loved it. That wasn't the most affecting moment for me, but it, it did elicit a couple of tears. 
Yeah, well, and then, of course, he, he's making the sacrifice, and as he, oh, man, he's going to get me crying here. As he goes down, you know, he does the, he gives the kid the thumbs up, and it's, just, oh, and then you sent me the gif of it, and you just had to drive it home. <laughs> and see, I, I sent you that gif without having watched it yet. I just knew that that was, like, the ending. <laughs> and so oh, I just, like, searched out that gif, and I sent it to you because I was like, yay, we're watching this movie, and it it was more emotionally affecting than I expected it to be, so. Yes, yes. Now, in contrast with that Terminator is the T-1000, who, like Robert I said, Patrick. he is terrifying. <laughs> As I said, he's relentless in his pursuit of the target, no matter who stands in his way. He reveals himself to be even more scary in his abilities, the way he just absorbs bullets and then just, like, reforms himself. Whereas yeah. Arnold can take a whole lot of damage. He's, but it, but he's, it adds up. Right, it adds up. He's not indestructible. Yeah, no, this is, this is very clearly, like, you have that that first time we see him getting shot, and he's like, oh, that's weird. He's, like, buckling and, and boiling, and, you know, and, and then all of a sudden it just heals up, you know, with the fluid, the metal fluid just flows back to you, like, oh. How? So then, you're of course, you're thinking, well, how can he be killed, <laughs> Right. Know? And so that, that was the, the, the huge driving suspense of the first film, was every time we thought we had killed the Terminator, he stands back up and he keeps going. And that's yes. multiplied to the nth degree this time. And mm-hmm. there's even a moment where I think it was probably a bit of a nod to the first film, where uh, early in the movie, after the initial chase, uh, when Arnold rescues John and they're escaping, there's the truck explosion. And we already know from the first film that if if the truck explosion wasn't going to kill Arnold, then it's definitely not going to kill this guy. So it's just a matter yeah, of time no before he stands back up. You got to have something much hotter to keep right. that liquid right. melted. But we also get a little bit of a semblance of hope to destroy the T-1000 pretty early in the film, too, when he had—it was after they rescued Sarah— and the the T-1000 had latched onto the car with, like, his hook metal hands. Mm-hmm. And then he'd, a little bit had broken off, and he'd fallen off the vehicle. And then John, just sort of, like, making sure, just in case, he threw off that last little bit that had hung on. Mm-hmm. And we see when it was by itself that it was useless. It wasn't a part of him anymore. And so yeah. if you can separate him into enough pieces, and we get a little bit of that at the end of the movie with the, the liquid nitrogen, yeah, uh, then maybe he, he can be destroyed. And that doesn't ultimately destroy him, but there there is a little bit of a reprieve there. Yeah, there's definitely an operating temperature problem at the low end and the high end of the spectrum. Right. The T-1000 <laughs> can't operate in certain extreme conditions. And I mean, I, all the phasing through the bars, and in, especially in the final fight sequence against Arnold, when yeah. Arnold is like punching him, and he just like reforms his body around his arm, and then yes. is able to like more. There's the the first like really cool instance I think of that is when he is knocked face first into a wall, and he just morphs his body to the other side. That is so. That was so cool. <laughs> <laughs> There's so a lot cool. of cool stuff in here for sure. Yeah, the, this is where I think the majority of the budget was probably spent on that morphing CGI technology, Absolutely. but yeah. it was it was really put to good use in many many circumstances yeah and i i just my i it's it's the stupidest thing but like all my i don't know if it's my favorite morphing scene but like when he morphs through the bars when they're chasing after sarah in the institution she sarah hadn't seen it yet and he morphs through the bars and you can see the look on sarah's face like uh we're in so much we're in deep trouble right and then he 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 you hear this clunk and then the the camera pans down and the, the gun that he's holding is it so he just has to turn it up and pull it through the bars i I thought that was pretty great yeah (laughs) and of course silberman has the what is it like a toothpick or a cigarette or something that falls out of his mouth i go snap what is it what just happened (laughs) yes Um, yes (laughs) yeah there's lots of cool 
I mean, we see lots of his abilities throughout the film, but especially in that ending fight sequence where he really just like, no holds barred. Uh, this yes. is everything I'm capable of. So cool. And like I said, I, that, that's, that's actually like the, the main thing from Terminator, aside from little catchphrases and stuff like that, that I knew of because I remember like commercials for the Universal ride or something when I was a kid that, ha- that featured the T-1000 yeah. morphing abilities. And so like if there was a visual thing that I knew from this franchise, aside from just Arnold wearing the leather jacket and the sunglasses, yes. it was the, the <laughs> T-1000. And so seeing that in action here and yes, seeing that it's really, really cool, but also holy crap, that's terrifying, <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. Was, was really nice for my first yeah. time watching. And played expertly by a very young Robert Patrick, or at least young, because I think of Robert Patrick as an older guy in, in the stuff that he's in these days. And just really great, like, straight-faced, you know, just, I don't know, it just, he brought something to the character that was very different from what Arnold did with the T-800, but but fit so well with just this this emotionless expressionless devoted terminator oh and well that that brings me to one more point about him is he wasn't completely emotionless i think that one other aspect that was even more scary about the t-1000 is that he was able to further assimilate than arnold was i don't think he had emotions but he could display them as appropriate to convince people he was something else which is something that arnold couldn't do or the, 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 the terminator couldn't do the Terminator couldn't yeah. do that's right. Well, let's be clear. I don't think Arnold could do it. That's why the Terminator <laughs> well, yes, <do> it. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. The T one thousand is a a much better version of the Terminator in every conceivable way, and and so that th- that's why you're wondering throughout the whole film how in the world is the T eight hundred going to defeat the T one thousand? Like that's just not possible. Right. Anything else to say about the Terminators? Or are we ready to move on to our uh, officially human characters? Yeah, no, let's, <laughs> let's talk about some humans. So, who do you want to talk about first? Uh, you got you got to talk about Sarah Connor. Okay, let's talk about Sarah then. So, right away, Cameron smartly sets us up to know that something is wrong because yes. we see the information as Arnold is looking it up about John Connor, and or mm-hmm. is it Arnold who's looking it up at the first place? I think it, it's actually um, the T one thousand. He's looking it up on the com- I think the, it is the T one thousand car. Mm-hmm. Yes. We know that something's wrong because looking at John Connor's information, we see that he's living with foster parents. And so that begs the question. Where's mama? Sarah had this ultimate mission in the first film. Like she knew what her son was going to be. Uh, why is he not with her? And so I love that 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 plants that question really early on yeah. before, like long before we ever see her and what's going on. And it's totally believable, right? Like you can believe that after everything Sarah went through as a 19-year-old, 29-year-old 20, Sarah is a little bit whacked out right. and that she wound up in a men- mental institution. Like her her crazy off the wall, like there's people coming back in time to kill us, got her institutionalized and her son taken away. Like totally believable. Mm-hmm. And we see how much of a badass she has become over these years. And yes. we see that she's passed some of that onto her son, not not necessarily in his behavior, but he, he has learned from learned some skills from her. And I really appreciated seeing like him talk about how they spent time in Nicaragua and he has, he, he knew these, like, I don't know if they were mercenaries, but they were people where they got the weapons oh, and yeah. everything from. No, they were yeah. mercenaries. And so yeah. it was interesting to see, Sarah coming from the 19-year-old innocent girl that we saw who was sort of just along yeah. for the ride for the first film 
completely you morph. get the 80s the 80s fluffy yeah, hair yeah. and the and and the not, not cheerleader is not the right word but you kind of get what right, i'm saying yeah. like she was a much more like go out and party and here is you know even though she's institutionalized like you can tell she's she really probably shouldn't be there it's just that people don't know what to do with her and her crazy stories right. and she's very dedicated to getting out of there and you know i think the first the first scene we see her and she's doing the, the chin-ups and she's put on some muscle in between uh 1984 and 1991 linda hamilton has. she has and as we see more of her character throughout the film we see that she has almost become less human i would like to say she she's become so set on preventing the future that she has lost her sense of humanity or, or has she become even more human because her goal is to save her son, to make sure that he lives up to what he needs to be? It's all about, it's all about him, really. And, and, and what's more human than a mother being a mother? Well, I agree that it turns into that. But at the beginning of the film, at least when we first start seeing the two of them interact, I thought that she didn't seem like she loved John. And that was why when she finally said, I love you, John, after she didn't kill Dyson, that was, that's what made that so powerful, is that she was so set on just preventing the future, and she lost her sense of humanity and actual love for her son. She sort of mm. just saw him as, yes, you're my son, but my job is not to protect you because I'm your mother, but to protect you because I know that you are the eventual sort of savior for humankind. And so that that was the journey that I saw her going on in this movie was realizing that there isn't just it's not so black and white i suppose it wasn't just like killing dyson is going to end skynet that's not exactly the the outcome that she hmm. she should seek it's seeking ways to make the change and to hold on to the moments that she does have with her son while she's able to does that sort of make sense like yeah, I see where you're coming from. I don't. I don't fully agree with it. I never got the impression that she didn't love John, or, or I, I always thought it was all about John. Um, but I, I see where you're coming from for sure. I agree. It was about John, but like that first scene w- when they rescue her from the mental hospital, she's upset with him, saying like, "You shouldn't have ever risked yourself for me. You need to protect yourself. You need to do this. You need to do that. But definitely, you shouldn't have come after me." Where. Here he is, this kid who's feeling guilty because he didn't believe his mother because he thought, along with the rest of the world, that she had gone insane. Turns out she's right. Well, let's go bust her out. And then instead of being happy that he's there and that they're together, she's angry with him because he risked his life for her. And so even if she did love him, it was a hardened love. And I think it softens later in the film. Yeah, yeah, I can buy that, I guess. (laughs) What else do you have to say about Linda? Or sorry, Sarah. I just enjoy the character and the growth that she has to the film. Like, like you say, there's definitely growth to be had there. And you definitely understand how she comes to the place of, as I mentioned in, in the, the story aspect, where she comes to the place of killing baby Hitler, as it were. She believes that for the good of the three million people who are about to be nuked based on the, you know, Skynet become, you know, this Dyson guy uh, is going to take the, the chips and create Skynet or, or the stuff that makes Skynet possible, and then three million people are going to die, so let's just stop it at the source. Like, you understand how she gets there, but yet it is the most cruel and heartless thing in the world to do and once dyson was presented with the evidence like he was on the same page he's like oh no i did i didn't want this to happen we're gonna make it stop right here and so he becomes an ally Mm -hmm. and so you understand how she got where she got but also it was the wrong decision and so she grows through that and understands that it was the wrong decision that was a scene that affected me the most was 
when she was holding the gun at Miles and he was being protected by his son. And she looked down at herself and realized that she couldn't do this. And she sort of broke down. And that's when John and the Terminator arrive and she breaks down crying in her son's arms. And I I think it was realizing that it was cold hearted to just kill, even if it would theoretically prevent further loss of life. It was also about taking this man away from his family who clearly loved him. Both his son and his wife were there with him as she was about to kill him. And that was the sort of switch for me that she connected to Dyson through their love for their sons. Yeah, totally agree. So yeah, that, that was the scene that, that really got to me was Sarah staying her hand and hugging her son and saying, I love you, John. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, um, you know, she's obviously in the rest of the movie and has a part to play, but as far as her arc goes, that's what kind of where her arc goes to and, and ends mm-hmm. there is, is coming to the place of, okay, this, this was not the right decision. And now we need to make the right decision. Right. And I mean, while we're talking about Dyson in that moment, I love how quickly his mind has changed and how he so easily rededicates himself to destroying his work so that it can't be continued. And and he does eventually willingly give his life to the project. And it's just such a completely different scenario than Sarah had originally outlined when going to kill him. So instead of making him a martyr and having someone else just continue his work, they helped him him. Dyson to see what could happen if his work continued and he just conspires with them to help them prevent the future by destroying as much of his work as possible. Yeah. I I really admired that about him. Yeah, he's a great character, and I really love the actor who plays him, uh, Joe Morton. I wish he was in more things. Uh, Well, he's in a lot of things, just not a lot of things that I've seen. Where I got familiar with him as an actor was he played Henry Deacon in a TV series called Eureka. Actually, a very similar character to this, except that he wasn't going, he wasn't creating Skynet, but like a a scientist and kind of a, you know, a dedicated guy like that. And he's just a great actor, and the character, of course, uh, here is is just great, and his, his ability to understand what it is he's seeing. Like, when he sees, you know, uh, the Terminator, you know, cuts the skin off his arm and he sees that arm that is the same arm that he's been working right. on. And so he immediately makes a connection. He goes, okay, I get it. We got to do what we got to do to stop this. And it's, you know, it's, it, there's not much of an arc there, but it's, it's just one of those fun characters that you can really just a, a cheer for and applaud. Right. It's admirable that this isn't a character who tries to necessarily defend his work. I mean, he does say, I mean, how could we have known? I mean, we were just working no no he's he's very much not the villain he's just a scientist but there's no like extra defense where he's trying to defend as in like protect his life work either and so i I, I like that he's just like okay i agree let's let's stop this let's get rid of it and he does give his life to to prevent the the loss of further life and that and that was great yeah absolutely anything to say about john that we sort of haven't already alluded to I don't think so. I think we've basically been talking about John because he's kind of the heart of the story. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard not to talk about this film without basically talking about John. I mean, you've you've got he, he is, as I said, he's the heart of the film. And he is the reason why the Terminator learns that, you know, of course, he's ordered. But I think he also learns that like killing is is not the right way to go about 
these things, and he's required to take John's orders. And and of course, you get to see a lot of uh, some of John's growth as well because he's he's realized that he thinks his mother is a psychopath, or is that the right word? But it's you know crazy. Yeah. She's she's nuts, and she's institutionalized, and she was a terrible mother. And you you kind of get that at the beginning of the film, and then by the end of the film, you know he's learned that you know his mother had some wisdom he didn't know about, and there was uh, actually what she was saying was true. And you know as we've kind of mentioned, the the machines have kind of set him up to be in as good a position as he could be to go into a war with them if that ever comes about at this point who knows because we've theoretically destroyed <laughs> the things that that make them possible but but you know that it, it it sort of backfired and he's really uh it has pushed him further along his journey yeah i really don't have anything further to say i mean i like his innocence i like that he instills that innocence in a machine that was designed to kill and i like the fun scenes that they have together and then it, it Makes me sad when John is sad that the Terminator's going, and uh, it, it's really great. I, I liked him. Mm-hmm. Any other characters to talk about? I mean, we've already basically talked about Miles Dyson, Joe Morton. I'm just looking through my list here. No, I think that's that's all I have. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. I know that Silberman, I think, returns possibly in the next movie, but uh, don't have a whole lot to say. He's he's basically just like the the guy who doesn't believe the story, and oh yes, you're he's crazy. Just there. Yeah. Oh, but did you cringe when, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this, this, uh, needle full of goo that she's got stuck in his n- oh, neck yeah. threatening to, to put it in and it's drain cleaner. And you're like that, that will definitely kill him. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just going to, Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, as far as music goes, I think it's more of the same, but I, I say that in the, the best of ways. I thought that, but I was actually before the show, I was pulling up the score and they're very different. Are they? They're very Good. different from the original. Well, I, I'd love to hear if you have thoughts to say it, because I, I mean, I only experienced it in the context of the movie, and my memory was that it was pretty much the same. I still love the main theme. I love that it, it sounds yeah. of the time, but not overly dated, I, and I love the, the 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 darkness of it that's futuristic, but uh, not like 80s futuristic. Yeah, it's futuristic and dark, and it... it, it... It's reminiscent of the original score because it has the same melody in the theme and it has that do 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 you know the the beat that you're familiar with from from the Terminator. But when you actually put them side by side, the original score is almost entirely synth, mm-hmm. and you really don't. When you listen to this score, I mean, there's certainly synth in there, but it is a lot fuller and it's even in a slightly different key. The the key for this score is a little bit lower. I would say it's. I think it's about a full step down from from the score for the original. If that means anything to you, which is an interesting choice because normally, I mean, you pick a key for your for your theme and you stick to it. I, I can't think of any theme that has ever changed the key of the of the theme, and it just sounds like a more modern version of of, of the nineteen eighty four score. And I mean that in the best possible way. It's not a rehash. It's not a repeat. But the melody is there, and it just it's done better. And and it, I think it really works well. It's not a, it's not a, the type of score I typically would choose to listen to on its own, but it works very well in the context of the film. Like, there's no point at which you go, huh, this, this really isn't working for me. I don't, it's taken me out of the movie. Like, it really always adds to the fabric of the movie and the universe. Yeah, I liked what I heard. I'd be interested to go back and check out some of it outside of the film just to see how it compares to the first film. So, like, go back and compare and contrast, but then uh, watch again because I have the 4K disc now. So... If you're interested in dropping them in the show notes, I will, I'll put them right here in the outline. Okay. Okay. I will make sure to include those. So anything else to say about the music? Like I said, I don't have a whole lot to say about it, but 
I liked it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it works well in the context of the film. Okay, well, what about impact and takeaways? And I know we we always bounce around all of these, yeah. but uh, is, is there anything you just want to distill here at the end? I think that the, the biggest thing, and this was toward pretty much the end of the film, is, is the quote from Sarah Connor, which you've already partially quoted, which is, if a machine, a Terminator, can learn to value the, learn the value of a human life, maybe we can too. Mm-hmm. And that's, I guess, really the main takeaway from the film, I guess, is, is the value of human life. And as we've talked about, what Sarah learned was not that that was something that was in the total sum of human life, but it's even in one human life. Like what, mm-hmm. taking one human life in the context of a future thing that may or may not happen to save that many people, like there's a third way, there's a better way we need to learn the value of human life. Right. Uh, and that stands in complete contrast with uh, an exchange between John and the Terminator early in the film where John asks, we're not going to make it, are we, people? And Arnold says, it's in your nature to destroy each other. And, yes, yes, he does say yeah. that. And so that, that Sarah Connor quote at the end, that final narration is bringing that idea full circle, is maybe we can learn. If a machine can learn, maybe we can too. And I really like that. That sort of, even though it's a very dark film, that sort of injection of hope is is a very classic thing that most modern sci-fi does. Not all, of course. There's there's sci-fi that is totally, um, uh, what's the word? Dystopian. Um, dystopian, yeah. There is sci-fi that's totally dystopian, and that tends to be hard sci-fi, which I'm not a huge fan right. of. <laughs> But your more modern sort of pop sci-fi tends to want to insert the theme of, we're going to make it. It's going to be okay lighten the tone just a little, you know? And I think that's good because it's always such a downer if you watch something that you mostly enjoy, but it's dark and then, and you get to the end, and you're like, well, there's, there's no hope. I mean, I felt that way, for instance, about 12 Monkeys. I don't know if you've ever seen that film, but I got to the end of the film. I'm like, this is a real downer. Like <laughs> nothing changed. Nothing. I'm sorry, sorry. Spoilers for 12 Monkeys, a film we're not talking about, but, but th- th- that sort of sci-fi, I don't, I don't enjoy. And I very much enjoyed this because when you get to the end, the good guys did win and there is still hope. And Sarah very much gives us that hope with that, with that quote. She does give us that extra hope. And uh, I definitely appreciate having a happy ending, but there are what three or four more movies. And so something else has to go wrong at some point in, in yeah. even if that thing going wrong is the movie got made. So are there more movies though, Chad? <laughs> are there? Well, you know what? Uh, (laughs) since we're talking impact and not just necessarily like things that happen in the movie, takeaways from the movie, but just like a general takeaway from watching the movie, I know that it's technically downhill from here, maybe even a little bit of a roller coaster from here where there's downs (laughs) and some ups. I've heard some good things. Yeah. It's not like I didn't enjoy the other movies, but to be honest, I couldn't tell you what Rise of the Machines is about. I I, I think Christian Bale's in it, but I just don't, I've watched it and I just, it it was unmemorable apparently. Salvation is the one that he's in. Oh, Salvation. That's right. Okay. See, I don't even know. See, I I just, I know I've seen it and I just don't, I will say um, I watched Terminator Genesis. I haven't seen Dark Fate. I'm interested in seeing it, but I haven't. I watched Terminator Genesis and the one redeeming thing about that film, I, I say one redeeming thing, it wasn't an awful film, but it's just not up to this standards of terminator one and two but i will say that um i really enjoyed emilia clark as i almost said linda hamilton as sarah connor uh-huh. i enjoy emilia clark in uh several movies and um i think she did a fantastic job i just don't think the movie really lived up to the the terminator and terminator 2 right i have heard good things about dark fate as far as like the sequels go well, and so linda I'm, hamilton's back yeah, so you, you yeah. know gotta be better so wh- what i was saying is i think that even though I know that it's not going to be amazing necessarily going forward, I am so 
invested in this world, whether it's better films or not, I'm so interested in the world and to see what happens next that I'm excited to watch the other movies just to see like what happens like where does this go i gotta know what comes next even if it kind of sucks um i'm okay with that i will i will tell you this we've already started in t2 but so you should be prepared but timeline means nothing right in terminator it's it's an ever-evolving ever-changing thing Mm -hmm. well i will say i'm i'm just i was curious and so i did look at rotten tomatoes ratings for the franchise okay i haven't done that so tell me uh terminator one has a hundred percent based on 64 mm-hmm. reviews. Terminator 2 nice. has a 93 based on 82. So I mean still really good. Interesting. Terminator 3 has a 69% based on 206. Pretty passable. Mm-hmm. Salvation's okay. at 33. Genesis is at 27. But then <laughs> Dark Fate is at 70. Although Dark Fate was a considered a, a box office failure. Yes. But um it it's got the best reception since this one as far as like yeah. critic reviews on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. So I'm actually surprised that Terminator 2 has a lower rating than Termi- the Terminator. That surprises me. I do know some people, like, you know, Gabe Green is a mutual friend of ours. I think that he's sure. of the mind that the first film is better than the second one. I think it's him that I'm thinking of. I mean, Gabe is often wrong, so. <laughs> uh, I didn't say it, Gabe. <laughs> <laughs> we, I, I don't, I cannot remember the last time I shared an opinion with him on movies. He's, he's a great we're guy. In a, we're in the same movie group on Facebook so um yes yeah i technically am in that movie group as well but i very rarely go there yeah well um do you have anything else to add about this movie i think that's it for me i think i said everything i wanted to say about this film it's a great film i think i think if you're an adult and you don't mind r-rated films you should watch it yeah well and even as far as r-rated films go it's only because of some violence and i wouldn't say it's not like the most excessive violence i've ever seen but then there's also the f-words you also get some bare buttocks oh well I suppose. <laughs> we, we we did get less frontal than we did in the first movie. Yes. <laughs> so anyways, that being said, that is the end of the 101st episode of Cinescope. I looked up the proper way to say 101st. I wasn't positive if it was 100 and first or 101st, but I settled on that one. No, no, you don't say and. And with numbers, I learned, yeah, you do not say, right. it drives me nuts when people say and. Right. It's 101st, 102nd, 103, 104. Yeah, I, I was pretty sure. I double-checked, and so that's the official way to say it is one, 101st yeah. episode of Cinescope. This is Model 101. I, I know you find this hard to believe, Chad, but I'm very pedantic about that. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, that is hard to believe. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> contact for the show you can find us on facebook at facebook.com slash cinescope podcast and at cinescope pod on twitter that's the best place to interact with me because twitter is a cesspool that i'm a part of willingly and uh i'm there all the time <laughs> it may be a cesspool but it's, ours, <laughs> it's our cesspool <laughs> uh and uh you can go to apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review i know that there hasn't been rating and reviews posted there in a while but it's to be fair it's been a while since there's been an episode posted so now you've got a yeah, reason yeah go write a rating yeah and review on apple podcast chad runs a great podcast when he decides to run it thank you (laughs) i'll take it (laughs) and then if you ever do have any direct feedback that's a little bit more long form you can always email the cinescope podcast at gmail.com now tj where can people find you and interact with you and hear your opinions about things I am also on the cesspool known as Twitter. Uh, you can find me if you uh, look for and uh, my handle, which is TJ Draper Pro. You can also uh, listen to my podcast after, of course, you've listened to Chad's great podcast. Uh, make sure you put him first and then come find me at <laughs> nightowl.fm slash hi-fi. Yeah, go, go listen to hi-fi. I'm a regular listener. I think I, I don't. Did you post an episode today? 
Yes, that came out uh, today. Possibly. Yeah. So that's in my queue, but I haven't listened yet. Yeah. Go listen to TJ's podcast, new and old. Uh, there's definitely still some value to be talked about old movies and uh, retake and in Movie Bite as well. And so all those are linked below in the show notes. Um, the best place to find like my personal account, if you just want to listen to me talk about Jeopardy and other things on Twitter, that's at Shadadada, that is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. Um, you can find <laughs> my other podcast. TJ, I don't think you've ever not laughed at me spelling out my Twitter handle. <laughs> I haven't. I was just thinking the same thing. <laughs> my other podcasts, there is the archive of An American Workplace where we talked about every episode of The Office and that it, that show is finished, including all the bonus episode we had uh, stored and that has now been released. And so you can listen to it freely. And then there's my current podcast that has also been on a little bit of a hiatus because my co-host had a baby. And so at least that one had a reason to be on hiatus for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll allow it. <laughs> and so we're getting set to record more of that very soon. That is called Crossroads of Destiny. And we're talking about every episode of Avatar The Last Airbender and its whole franchise that came after. Um, so go join us on that ride. That's a really great show. And uh, I'm talking about the TV show. And hopefully you find some value in the podcast as well. Uh, show notes and contact information for this show can be found at thecinescopepodcast.com. And... Uh, that's it, everybody. Thank you again, TJ. It's always great talking movies with you, and I'm glad we were able to uh, follow up the previous episode with uh, a great discussion over T2. Yeah, loved it. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Have fun and celebrate movies. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, now I don't have to <laughs> put in the music. <laughs> yeah, I did it for you. Yeah. Totally.